Hello everyone, and welcome to Bluebeard's Tech Talk. I'm Josh Bentley, and yes, I have a blue beard. I work for SAP, one of the world's largest business software companies, and I'm a developer advocate on our developer relations team. As part of my responsibilities, I talk about the SAP Cloud Platform. One of the goals of this podcast is to connect developers to code they may or may not have been aware of, and they can use it when they're developing their own applications. Another ambitious goal of this podcast is to entertain you. To do that, I'm going to try to have as many interviews as I can with subject matter experts. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bluebeard's Tech Talk. I am joined today by my friend Jamie Cauley. He's been with me before on a podcast. Jamie, how you doing? I am good. How about yourself? I am uh, recovering from a little foot pain, so I can't wait to start jogging again. But for this weekend, I get to be lazy and do nothing. So, is, is that sure a I'm, good thing or, or not? It is. It is. I've been overdoing it. I've been running too much, as I've, you and I have talked about. So, but it's nice to be outside, and the weather's not quite as hot as it was a few weeks ago. So that's nice. Yes, very, very good. Um, we had you on before talking uh, about a few components of SAP's um, open source project Kima that we've helped write and contribute to, and we also have a productized version of that where we. You can describe it better than me, but if you could tell everybody what your role is and what Kima is internal to SAP. Sure. So I'm, uh, I work on the Kima topic and my focus is really on uh, working on adoption. And so that, you know, working with the customers that are using this or partners and you know, trying to upskill people on the different uh, technologies that Kima has and the, the functionality that it provides. So one time you and I went out to a meetup in Philadelphia when we were actually allowed to travel and go places and we, we met with people and in today's environment, it's a little difficult. We're still doing virtual meetings though. So if somebody was to join a webinar or go and see you stand up in front of a whiteboard, what would you start off when you were drawing Kima? Would you draw it as middleware in the cloud or is it an on-premise software component? What is the pieces of Kima? Where do you install them? So Kima lives on top of uh, Kubernetes. And basically what it does is it provides you a bunch of uh, components and functionality tied together to, to make your life a little simpler when you're trying to develop a, any type of application or extension inside of uh, Kubernetes. Okay, so Kima is, one of the things I read about was the API Gateway. So yes. how, how does the API gateway live on top of Kubernetes? Is it a Kima living inside of a pod or a cluster of Docker containers or how is that? Yeah, there's a, a couple of different pieces that it, it relies on. So some of it's a little proprietary uh, microservice or a controller and that basically, you know, in the, if you look at the architecture, it's some pieces of that relate to like Istio and stuff like that. So the, what it's really trying to do is just give you the ability to easily expose a service in your Kima cluster externally. And it provides you with some different uh, security options. So you, you know, you can use uh, JWT if you want 
and that supports uh, basically any open ID uh, connect provider can be tied into it. it uh, the authentication piece of Kima is uh, using DEX, so you can use DEX to provide those tokens as well. It also supports OAuth 2, and that's you know coming into some other components of uh, Kima, which is Ori. So there's a Kima OAuth 2 server that's built into it that you can use to issue tokens. What was it called again? It, uh, Ori is the, Ori, co okay. the component, yeah. And you could also just allow all requests. And so there's allow method and there's a, a no op method, which basically doesn't transform the request and just will forward any uh, like headers and stuff to the underlying service that is uh, being called. Okay. And is this and of course that's... you can you can use uh, too. You have uh, the ability to you know tie this to certain paths of a, a service. So you could have one path that's using one authentication method, and then one that you know is using another one. And you can limit uh, different HTTP methods on this path as well. So you're putting rules in to listen for certain things coming from the outside into the Kima cluster or the Kubernetes yes. cluster? Okay. Yeah. So you build a microservice and you expose that through API gateway to allow something externally access. So to is it. the idea that an app developer has to know a lot about Kubernetes to use Kima or is this infrastructure that they as an app developer might never have to worry about? They're just saying, here's where I'm trying to get to. Yeah, there's uh, in Kima, there's usually always two ways of doing something. So you could use the, the command line interface if you're familiar with that, and you can create YAML files to define these uh, resources. But something like the API gateway, you also have a UI, which you can kind of just you add an API rule in there, and then you choose what service you want it to, to connect to, what you want the, the API to be named. And then you, you know, of course, have the options to uh, to do all the security stuff with each path that you want to define as well in the UI. So it makes it really easy to do it. So you don't have to sit there and create a, a YAML file to define that. But of course, you can. No, and that's awesome. And I think you know one of the things I'll put in the write up of this podcast is the notes for where to go to the Kima project and and play with some of the tutorials. So I think there's an API rule custom resource tutorial I found that actually gives you steps yes, on how yes. to create and play with it. Yep. But this and is that, all uh, different that, than that SAP. That also too has, uh, you know, if you want to look into using the, the OAuth 2 server, there's actually a tutorial in there as well to, that demonstrates how, how to accomplish that. And you can do OAuth 2 and JWT in the same instance? Uh, you could on different paths you could if you wanted to. Okay, nice. Very cool. Um, this is different than if you were to go to SAP and spin up the SAP Cloud Platform Console and you wanted to use Kima as an underlying Kubernetes project because now SAP is offering this is something that we embed into our cloud platform. Is that the right way yep. of saying it? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, no, worries. I'm just trying to like explain that, that there's a product from SAP that we actually let you subscribe to SAP as a paid customer. And we yes. take some of the heavy lifting of setting up Kima away from you. So you don't have to get into the components of spinning up Minikube and kubectl and, and all the things that go into getting Kubernetes environment stable before you actually start using some of these Kima functions. Yeah, on, on the managed offering, it's as simple as just hitting uh, enable Kima button. 
Okay. And that, that kicks off the process of setting up a, a Kubernetes cluster and installing Chemo on top of it. Nice. So and the all next, the, all the configuration that is required there. Okay. So what's the next thing that I want to talk about? It was the application connector. So what does the application connector do when it comes to Kima? So this is uh, basically a way of how external applications can connect into the Kima cluster. So it basically like manages the life cycles of those connected application. So the way that that is initiated is that there's uh, like a one-time token URL. And depending on what you're using, if you're using an open source version of, of Kima or the managed offering, there's an open source, you use this component called uh, Compass. And the term, if you're using the management or the managed version, you use, uh, like there's a management plane that does this piece for you inside of the, the cloud, uh, the SAP cloud platform. So you get that token URL and that token URL is a one-time use uh, URL. So it expires as soon as you run it or after a certain time frame. And what that consists of is uh, a couple different endpoints that are used to publish information to uh, the, the environments. And additionally, it contains uh, certificate information. So the, the underlying system that's trying to connect into Kima, what it would do is read that certificate information and generate a certificate signing request. And then the two systems would pair together using that certificate signing request. You know, so a, a client ID or a client certificate would get generated and then they would rely on that to communicate. And once that's established, then the underlying system would publish information about any APIs that it has and any events that it could publish to Kima okay. through the event bus. And you know what's what's great about this is when it's published in this API information, it's also publishing how how to authenticate to this this system. So are we using like basic authentication? Are we using uh, client certificates or OAuth? And why that why that's great is because now if I'm a developer in Kima and I'm writing you know a, a Lambda function, a serverless function, or I'm writing a microservice, if I want to talk into that system, I don't have to worry about how to authenticate it. That's automated uh, for me within uh, okay. Kima. So I just basically call a URL directly and then which is proxied through Kima and Kima will, you know, put in the, the authorization headers or the uh, certificates I need to actually communicate with that system. So it makes it a little easier as a developer to, to you know, interact with these different systems because you don't have to worry about those pieces. So one of the things that and you don't know the answer to this, that's fine, but I always was talking about cloud with people that were doing a lot of things on premise and with the internet coming into the on premise through a VPN or a reverse proxy that was always worried about latency and overhead. Does this add or subtract any of those concerns? I wouldn't say it, you know, so this process is handled inside of the cluster. So it's, you know, it's all local networking. So it's very, you know, doesn't really have any latency involved in it, but if, you know, depending on once you're outside the cluster, you know, there's all kinds of variables that come in, in the play there. So yeah. I'd say if you're, if you have latency on, on one system connecting it to it, you probably, you know, ideally you want that, you know, your connections to be as close as possible to eliminate that, but 
Yeah, that that makes sense. And like the next thing that it makes me think about is the service mesh and the fact that you're with using Istio and the service mesh and connecting all these things together, you're trying to build in auto healing and auto scaling to this process. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, so what Istio does is it, you know, it, it basically handles the entire service mesh of of the, the cluster itself. So what, what that really means is it's handling the communication between services the security or proxying and discovery of services. And basically what happens is when you deploy uh, a workload into the cluster, uh, during that, that process, uh, a side, uh, NV, it's called NV, side, uh, which is a sidecar, will get injected into your workload as well. And that will basically intercept the communication between services uh, so that way, you know, it will support like mutual TLS communication and you can, uh, you know, kind of define different access rules and ways of there's uh, to validate the communication between the, the services inside of the, the, the cluster. And you can use like destination rules to, to manage that and authentication policies. But is the sidecar creating its own pod or is it managing other pods? No, the sidecar is part of the pod. So in the, the you know, if you deploy, so say you develop a, a, a Docker image and you want to deploy that into, into your uh, Kima cluster. So you define a deployment YAML that, yep. you know, just defines how that, that uh, Docker image should run inside of your Kubernetes cluster. So when you, when you go in ahead and uh, deploy that resource into the cluster, during that process, there's a, a controller listening and will actually in the pod will add another uh, container in there, which is running Envoy. So now your pod will have two containers that are running. So it's the Envoy proxy as well as whatever image that you put in it as a container. So you're always going to have two containers inside your pod by default, yeah. but you can you can add an annotation to eliminate that Envoy proxy if you wanted to. Okay. And it would just tear it down and it would, instead of building, it would just not even build that as part of the process of setup. Correct. Okay. Um, now this doesn't do any tracking and tracing, like doesn't have Grafana or Prometheus on it. It does, but, uh, there, but the, there's some differences. So if you're using open source, version, you have all of those tools and you can disable or en enable them. I believe most of them are enabled by default. Okay. On the managed version, we use them internally, but don't, they're not exposed externally to you. And the reason for that is just to try to eliminate some of the costs associated with running, running the cluster. So you have like logging and stuff like that, but the, the tracing is turned off for you. Okay. And it's so you managed, mean cost is in the cost of running from dollars or from resources? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I know resources equal money, but I didn't know if it slowed yeah. down the, the, the apps. Okay. But right. that, you know, in the future that may be different, but you know, we'll have to see how that, how that goes. Okay. And as some of the features that we've been talking about, like this, we've covered a ton in this short amount of time. And I think it's a lot for our listeners to digest, but what would you say is, 
is this new because version, I guess, 1.14 came out of Kima in the open source project, or is all of this stuff that's been worked on by SAP for a while? The Kima project's been around for a, a two years, I believe, okay. or a year, year and a half or so. And then the, the managed uh, version of that came out in uh, May of this year. May seems like six years ago. Uh, it does. That's why I'm like confused about how long it's been around. <laughs> it's crazy. 2020 yeah. has been the longest year of my life. <laughs> yeah. No. What is it? I saw a, uh, I saw a, the one star would not recommend. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 2020. So the Kima version is out on KimaProject.io and it is updated by the Kima community. And then SAP, I'm assuming for the cloud platform, they take that version and they use it or they force to use it. How does that work? Yeah, they, the, the schedule is to try to update it once a month. So it's pretty, okay. pretty tied to that release as well. So it's, it's not far behind what the open source version is using. Nice. Okay. So we talked about a ton of components. We touched on, you know, the API gateway, the application connector service mesh. Uh, you mentioned things like JSON and JWT tokens and DEX and, uh, Ori. So, so much stuff is out there. I can definitely link to all these different places in the documentation. Is there anything else you wanted to highlight? Uh, one other thing that we're working on is the, the sample uh, repository. So we have a repository in the SAP sample uh, GitHub repository. So maybe we could link that as well. Yeah, that has sure. a bunch of different samples for, uh, you know, creating different types of uh, applications so like front ends uh, apis and like databases and stuff like that um you know so maybe you want to uh, put a link to that underneath this uh, video when you publish it sure and in conjunction with that we're working on some uh, tutorials for the, the sap world to uh to be published into the sap tutorial uh, navigator nice. which will rely on some of them as well but Okay, and that's part of the developers.sap.com tutorial, tutorial site? Yes, that's correct. Okay, because I there's there's not an open SAP course yet, though, is there? There uh, there was one uh, last summer. Okay. But, I, you know, a lot of things have changed. Yeah, it needs then. to be updated. Okay, and then there's the Discovery Center, which I actually participated in as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Lots of great resources, lots of knowledge. And uh, I know there's going to be more enablement sessions coming up uh, over the next few months on Kima because it's getting a lot of traction inside and outside of SAP. So thank you very much for your knowledge and for your time. Yeah, great talking to you. You too, as always. Talk to you later, my friend. Bye. Bye-bye. Another great episode with my friend Jamie Cauley. Really appreciate his time and hope you guys enjoyed that as well. I know we're throwing a lot of information at you about Kima, the open source version, as well as the cloud platform version. So please go check out the GitHub repository. Check out the different information available on the Kima project website, all the release notes. Uh, as we stated, SAP tries to stay in step with the current version that's being released. And I know they do release very often on the Kima website. So keep an eye on that and let us know if you have any questions. Talk to you next episode.
Bluebeard's Tech Talk has been brought to you by your host, Bluebeard, also known as Josh Bentley. And while I work for SAP, these opinions are not an official SAP stance. They are my own opinions and my own conversations. Thanks. Hope to see you next time on Bluebeard's Tech Talk.